0: Well, I'll say, bless the Lord, if you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord, bless his holy name. Kairos, I'm Chris, I'm the pastor here, welcome. Um, if you're new with us, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Um, if you've been following Christ your whole life, welcome. If you're just considering the claims of Christ, welcome, you picked a great night to be here. Uh, thanks, Boggs and worship team, for leading us in some of those hymns. Those people can write. There's some lyrics in there that you're just kind of singing, and it it doesn't come as naturally as some of our contemporary music, but then they just blast you with some of those lines, and you're like, dear Lord, have mercy. Um, So thank you for that. Speaking of which, it's Michael Boggs' birthday, so happy birthday, Boggs. We love you. Um, That's the incredibly handsome, uh, ruddy worship leader right here. Um, If you're looking for any last-minute gift ideas, Michael eats uh, 80% of his meals at Chick-fil-A, um, so any gift cards to Chick-fil-A would help him out, or um, he just got bit by a Brown La Cruz and spent four days in the hospital, um, but he's okay, that's all right, he's here, he's, he, he's good, but if you'd like to make out a check to hospital bills, um, he would receive that gladly as well. Um, I love Boggs, he's a, he's a great friend and coworker, I'm a better pastor, uh, father and friend and teacher because of him, so uh, honored to do life and ministry alongside of him. Uh, We're trying to land the plane. We've been in 2 Timothy for nine years. Uh, We're going verse by verse, um, and it's been delightful and wonderful, but we finally turned the corner, and we're in chapter four. And so hopefully in just three years, we'll finish out this chapter. Um, But again, we're in a series, Follow Me as I Follow Jesus. The only thing Jesus is counting is disciples, and the only thing Jesus is counting on is disciples. Disciples is when we, Invite others along with us in intentional spiritual friendships um, to learn from Jesus how to live like Jesus. We've said this, you don't have to be a perfect example, you just have to be a living example. And so this text is concluding and there's this incredible charge here, right? We just got uh, Paul, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God. You're like, wow, this got really serious. This guy's going to end with a bang. Preach the word of God in season and out of season, Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. And I can already see it in your eyes. Sweet, this sermon doesn't apply to me. It only applies to preacher boys, right? Because we're a bunch of weirdos anyway. I'm not going to seminary. Um, uh, I'm not going and sitting in my office and studying Greek and Hebrew like some little nerd. Good luck for you. It's not for me. Now tell me Jesus loves me so we can go home. Uh, First of all, I would say this: one, I got a strong sense there's some of you in this room here who are called to preach and you're running away from it. So you can just put that in your pipe and smoke it, and see how it tastes later. Um, second, I would say that's the Lord. That's, if you, don't be mad at me. That's the Lord. That's not. That's between you and Him. I'm just. I'm just the messenger. Um, and and if you wanted to argue, if you wanted to preach your boy up with me. Um, so Chris, contextually here, this is uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, who is a preacher, and he's in a small group in the town of Ephesus, and he's having to endure like lots of doctrinal issues, lots of behavioral issues, and Paul is saying, preach the word. So this is for men and women who are called to preach, not for me. That's fair. I'll give you that. Um, but I, I, I would also say this, maybe your definition of preaching is too narrow. Um, Because I don't know, maybe what comes up to your mind is, okay, preaching. That means I have to get out a big Bible, go down to Broadway, find a bullhorn, and say things like, uh, turn or burn, um, or the end is near, and try to convert a bunch of drunk bachelorettes scooting by on rental scooters to their imminent death. I don't think that's, uh, if if the Lord's calling you to that, just uh, submit that to your community for interpretation. But uh, I I would say this, even as much as uh, street preachers kind of give me the heebie-jeebies sometimes, uh, I was listening to a podcast, a guy named David French, my wife, uh, 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 i want to say turn me on to it that's really not the phrase i want to use right now (laughs) my wife recommended listening it Um, he's a great guy local christian uh, lawyer author thinker about how we can disciple and engage uh, in a divisive political climate Um, and so i've been enjoying listening to him but he just happened to tell a story about him going to harvard law school he was a lawyer for free uh, speech advocates Um, and he talked about as a Christian going to Harvard and being like really intellectually intimidated about how he was going to defend his faith, um, especially much a bunch of lawyers. So he like studied up on all these apologetics and reasons and proofs and wanted to make sure that he could present the gospel in intellectually responsible ways and compelling ways. And they wind up meeting with uh, a group, they had a small group on campus of Christian lawyers. There's maybe like four or five of them. Um, And one day, into the room walks a girl, uh, a woman from campus who just said, yeah, I recently became a Christian, Um, I'd love to know how to follow Jesus. And so they welcomed her, they talked, and they all got connected, but afterwards, David was really curious, like, I want to know how someone became a Christian at Harvard Law School. Like, I, I need to know this strategy, I need to know this approach, and I need to memorize it, and I need to repeat it. And she said, you know, it's the weirdest thing. I was walking across campus and there was some guy shouting, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And I got back to my dorm room and I realized Jesus loved me. And so I gave my life to Christ. And now I wanna figure out how to follow him. Men and women, you may not call it preaching, but make no mistake, you are called to preach. You may not call it preaching, but your life lived, your relationships, your job, your chores, your homework, your relationships with your family, you are called to preach, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Preach the word of God in season and out of season. So what do we mean when we say preach? Now in the context, absolutely, it's a word that means herald. It's it's calling forth the kind of that ancient, a messenger who was sent out from the king to go into all the village, hamlets, and townships. And he would ride out and he would get into a village square, or whatever, and give the old what? Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye, by order and decree of the righteous king, blah, 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 blah. Okay? The second he says it out loud, it becomes law, and everyone who hears it is responsible for obeying it. And he carries the authority of the king in his proclamation. Of the king's wishes and desires. That's preaching. That's heralding the good news that we have a king and we have a savior who has made a way for us. Now, you may not be, call it preaching, but you're called to preach anytime you proclaim and exclaim with energy and authority that Jesus loves you. You may not call it preaching, but you're called to preach. Well, what do we preach? Am I preaching my opinions? Am I preaching, be a really, really good person? Am I preaching my preferences? Because that's a lot of fun. I can preach a long time. I got a lot of sermons on my preferences. No, preach the word. And I'm not trying to be some, uh, you know, just old school Baptist and has like a 9,000 page hardback cover of the King James Bible and beat you over the head with it. Preach the word, son. What I... What I am trying to say is that the word in this text is referencing the Old Testament and the apostles' teaching, all of which point to Jesus. So when you herald and exclaim with energy and authority who Jesus is and in your life, you're preaching the word. When you take time to have consequential conversations, listen and love earnestly and challenge certain held views that the gospel would speak a better word over, you're preaching. You're preaching the word. It's almost as if John said it a little bit more poetically in his gospel. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So anytime your actions, your attitudes, your life, and your words start to proclaim the person of Jesus, perhaps he's incarnated right there in your midst. Perhaps he was already there, you have just are now drawing attention to it. preach. The word, in season and out of season. Now, what does that mean? That's kind of curious, right? Did you, did you know the gospel had a season? I didn't. Is it kind of like wearing white after Labor Day? Um, is it you know like wearing a flannel in July? Or is it like a mullet no matter what decade you grew up in, you're like, ooh, sorry, but that's out of season. In season and out of season, I think, has a, a, something to say to our awareness and our readiness. Uh, regardless if it's comfortable or convenient or feels like the right time, you need to be ready. I know you may not call it preaching, but you're called to preach in season and out of seasons. Because I imagine Paul's writing this letter to Timothy and he's in, on death row. He's facing a violent execution and there's a little bit of urgency in his voice, right? This is a guy who spent his life preaching the word and he got beaten up for it, whipped for it, abandoned, betrayed, shipwrecked, snake bitten. You name it, that that bubba had some gospel scars on him. And he knew this, if you wait for the perfect time to talk about Jesus, it'll never come. You gotta be ready in season and out of season to preach the word, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. In season and out of season. Um, It's November 8th, correct? That's today's date. Um, It's Orphan Care Sunday, Uh, A lot of times when we highlight in the Christian community uh, uh, our biblical mandate to take care of those without parents and those in the foster care system, Um, it's pretty important to me. Um, You guys do know the statistic, right, that if one family from every church in America would adopt someone in the foster care system, it would be empty tomorrow. So if you didn't, I just wanna let you know that. Um, And I think anytime I have an opportunity to get in in front of people, just to always pray and consider that as a way of expanding your family or supporting those who do. Obviously, it's close to our heart. Um, Our fourth child, uh, Christopher, uh, is adopted. um, And he's the baby in the family, and I love him very much. And he's in a four-year Superman phase. (laughs) Kid just loves Superman. And he, he doesn't have to grow out of it, I don't care. But I was was watching him in his Superman shirt. I was thinking, ah, maybe this is what in season and out of season looks like for Paul. You're Clark Kent, right? You got a job. You got some chores to do. You got some homework to do. You got some bills to pay. You got relationships to have. You're not really Clark Kent. Who are you? You're Superman, right? Tito, you want to come up on stage and help me with this? You still feeling brave? Get on up here. Give it up for my son, Christopher. (laughs) Get up here. So there's this moment in um, every Superman movie, regardless of which one you, you've watched or cartoon, right? There's that theme music that starts to play in the background. Do you know what it sounds like? Bum, 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 Let's see, here, can you help me out with it? All right, no matter what he's doing. Got glasses on, got a suit or tie. You ready? job, buddy. Can you guys give it up for Christopher? <laughs> Love you, pal. I, the only reason I did that is because that's the only sermon he'll ever remember that I've preached, so <laughs> I'm okay with that. You guys are all just here to make my family feel better about themselves. Um, the reason I, I want that burned into your cerebral cortex is... When the Holy Spirit whispers in a conversation, that's the music that should start to play in the background. Hmm. And I'm not saying, or trying to give you a superhero complex, I'm not saying you're here to fix or rescue anyone, I'm saying that the hero is Jesus and you are capable of doing heroic things in his kingdom. You may not call it preaching, but you are called to preach. And can I push it just a little bit further? I believe each and every one of you as a child of God has supernatural abilities given to you to play a role in the kingdom of God. You are set apart to play a part. You may not think they're anything special, but when you leverage them for Christ and for the sake of others, supernatural ripples start to take off. Case in point, I was uh, finishing reading a book this weekend called From uh, Tablet to Table by Leonard Sweet. And he ends with a story about the Salvation Army. Did you know this, that the Salvation Army was given $1.2 billion? It's like one of the top 10 largest philanthropic gifts recorded in in United States history. Joan Crock got to the end of her life and bequeathed like 95% of her uh, family fortune to the Salvation Army. And it was not to go towards any existing things. It was to build centers for uh, uh, people in impoverished areas. So Lynn Sweet um, is a Christian author and and professor, and he got an opportunity to actually consult um, with the Salvation Army and do some strategy and missional engagement stuff with them. And he said, fine, part of the agreement, though, is I get to meet with the head of the Salvation Army, I forget what they're called, like Grandmaster General. I'm probably really insulting their culture right now, but there's the head of the Salvation Army, um, and he wants to meet with her and have a meal with her. So they sit down, and and he says, thanks so much for agreeing to meet with me. Um, One of the reasons I wanted to share a meal with you is I actually wanted to hear the story from you because I understood you had a relationship with Joan, and I want to know how did that gift come about, um, and was there a specific reason for it? She said, well, Joan and I kinda connected. We both grew up um, as children in poverty and we were uh, one of many children. Joan, who gave the gift, was one of 13. And she told the story uh, about a father who had left and abandoned his rights and responsibilities to that family and her mother. Um, I'm going to get choked up, so don't worry. It's coming. I'm going to telegraph that. Bum, 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 bum. <clears throat> it's my supernatural <laughs> gift, is, is crying. You're welcome. Thank you for that. That's what I needed. So uh, she's one of 13. Dad's not present. Mom's doing music lessons on the side to try to feed her family. And some weeks it doesn't work. And Joan said that the, the greatest moment as a child came when there was a knock on the door, and it was a man from the Salvation Army with groceries. And not only did he just drop off groceries, sometimes he would help them set a table and prepare a meal, and he said, and sometimes, even as one of 13 kids, he saw a five-year-old little girl playing on the dirt, on the floor, and he got down, and he played with me. And he saw me, and he encouraged me. And for someone who had zero positive male role models and figures in my life, that made a lasting impression on me. And as powerful as that story was, Leonard Sweet, he interrupts her and says, um, I'm not trying to press the issue, but doesn't the way the Salvation Army work is they don't deliver groceries, you come to them so that they can make sure that you're getting the equipping and the accountability that you need. She said, yeah, that is the policy, but this must have been someone who took it upon himself who saw a need in the neighborhood and decided to go the extra mile. He closes his book by saying, He asked her, he says, do you know the guy's name? He said, no, um, Joan never told me and she died and we'll never know the name of that man. Can you imagine that you're just a local volunteer at your local charity and you're dropping off groceries in the midst of your busy and hectic life and you wind up dying thinking you never did anything really heroic, but you had heroic acts of deeds of honesty and charity and Christian solidarity every day of your life? This man will die never have knowing that because of what he did on a Thursday afternoon led to 1.2 billion dollars being invested in the Salvation Army. Do you have any idea how powerful and responsible your actions are in the kingdom of God? I know you may not call it preaching, but make no mistake men and women, you are called to preach in season and out of season, correcting, rebuking, and encouraging with great patience and careful instructions. I know you don't feel like a superhero. I know you don't feel like a super intellectual. I know you don't feel like a super evangelist. I know you don't feel like you can fly or shoot laser beams out your eyes or you're bulletproof or you can leap tall buildings in a single bound. You may not be invincible, but you can be invitational. You may not have heat vision, but your eyes can burn with the compassion of Jesus when you look at human beings. You can be like Jesus who saw the crowds and had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. I know you may not be bulletproof, but you can be living proof. That God loves the broken and they can become beloved in his eyes. I know you may not be able to fly, but you know how to kneel at the feet of your Savior Jesus and say, will you make even the inconsequential things in my life count for eternity? I know you may not call it preaching, but you're called to preach. You're called to preach by the way that you treat your siblings. You're called to preach by the way you treat your parents. You're called to preach by the way you handle your finances. You're called to preach by who you eat with. Now, just so we're clear, I want us to be kind and consequential disciple makers who preach the word in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. This is not permission. Please don't hear this. This is not permission to be a Bible bully. This is not permission to be a religious jerk. This is not carte blanche, hey, get all of us apologetic assassins together, get our armor-piercing bullets, and count the conversational corpses that we walk over as a sign of success. Dominated that argument. You can win an argument but lose a soul, just so we're clear. How do we be kind and consequential? And this is not some laissez-faire, all roads lead to God, Jesus is just a good teacher, Uh, you do you, what's right for you may be right for you, who am I to say anything? No, I think somewhere in the middle, There becomes a spirit-empowered believer, a man or a woman, who is full of grace and truth, invitation and challenge, relationship and responsibility, and who speaks the words of Jesus, proclaims and exclaims with energy and authority, the word of God made flesh who has dwelt among us, who says Jesus is in our midst, and here is what he wants to speak to. The way my buddy Neil McClendon puts it is, are you the kind of person lost people wanna have a beer with? I would never put it that way because obviously I know my audience. I would never go over here. But I would say, are you the kind of person a recovering alcoholic wants to have five cups of coffee with? Are you the kind of person a teenager wants to have a Jamba juice with? I don't know what you guys are drinking. protein whatever it is. <laughs> but are you kind and consequential in such a way? Do, like, do you listen and ask thought-provoking questions. Do you love in a way that there's some kind of density to your soul? And do you speak truth and reframe and challenge assumptions that you know are lies and are leading to destruction? I know you may not call it preaching, but you are called to preach, in season and out of season, correcting, rebuking, and encouraging with great patience and careful instruction. If you look back on the life of Jesus and you broke down uh, how many hours he gave to preaching, and how many, it probably wouldn't be that much. But yet he said he was called to preach and declare the kingdom of God, that's why I've come. The majority of his preaching was meal sharing, storytelling, hanging out with his disciples, making disciples that make disciples. Or as one person put it, here's the summary of the gospel. Jesus ate good food with bad people. (laughs) I think we need to have more meals together. You think we need to learn how to preach better? Here's the deal. Tomorrow morning, a sermon's waiting for you in the form of a roommate who left their dirty dishes in the sink. And it's time for you to preach the word in season and out of season with great patience and careful instruction. There's a sermon waiting for you disguised as a lunch meeting on Wednesday. Where you think it's just a business opportunity or connecting with an old friend and all of a sudden the air's gonna get real thin and you're gonna hear it in the background. Bum, 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 bum. That's you, child. I'm the savior. You don't need to save them. But will you draw attention to me in the midst of their chaos and their confusion? I know you don't call it preaching, but make no mistake, you're called to preach. Amen. So we wanna preach the Bible clearly and give your soul some space to respond. So I'm gonna ask Jacoby to come up as the band comes up. Just kind of take you in a guided prayer where your soul can sit and be nourished and fed and respond appropriately to the message that we've heard.